Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Not one, but two days in a row of NBA draft coverage on Fantasy NBA Today. I know it's as crazy as it sounds, but we're doing it. It's a crash course, and you guys are strapped into the car with me on this thing. We're just going to be bonking off the railings, working our way through it. We'll be joined here in a couple of minutes by the great David Williams uh, of our Memphis Grizzlies coverage team here at Sports Ethos, but also a diehard draft enthusiast. He's been diving deep into that stuff. And what I thought might be kind of cool for today that you'll hear in a moment is just kind of juxtaposing a few of David's thoughts on the players against the guys we talked about yesterday and how that might translate into ADPs for next year, value against those ADPs for next year, and of course a few things to look for just in terms of fit. Because fit is a big deal, even though we have a, a, a reasonable idea, at least in the guys at the top of the draft. And again, I've already actually recording this thing kind of in reverse. So I've already talked to David before I'm doing this opening here. I will say this. There's a name in there that got downplayed a little bit on yesterday's show that's going to get upplayed a little bit. Is that a word? It's not. On today's. I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. You guys know that by now. Uh... Please do check out our baseball and our football coverage, continuing to expand on everything they do over there. You're going to see more and more football stuff coming out over at Ethos Fantasy FB. Joe and JP doing a marvelous job on their podcasts. Uh, baseball season, of course, beyond well in full swing right now. We're two full months into it. And uh, just really impressed with what those guys are putting together already in its infancy. Please do check that out. And thank you again, everybody, that continues to listen to this show in the offseason. I'm going to say it every damn day. I am floored and flattered by all of it. It's just, it's incredible. We're we're so far ahead of what we were able to do during the offseason last year. I'm, I'm blown away by it. So thank you all. That's really, really cool. This is offseason episode number 53. And uh, might as well just get it going, I guess. All right, so clearly season veteran now i've got a full day of uh studying uh nba draft information under my belt so now i'm obviously the internet's expert foremost authority on the topic but just in case i don't actually know everything yet i thought it'd be a good idea to have two days in a row of nba draft coverage and this one an old buddy of mine the host of the Ethos Grizzlies podcast, also my right-hand man here at Sports Ethos, helping run the podcast division, my guy, David Williams. What's up, dude? How are you? I'm good, man. A- enjoying this uh, the-, the draft season, enjoying the fact that we have a lot of guys still tuning in, right, guys and gals probably still tuning into the show, picking up on this draft coverage. I was really surprised looking at the numbers it's great. You know, I just love it. Um, we, Isaac and I do a lot whenever it comes to this draft stuff. We, we love it. We love digging into these prospects and watching film, just talking about them. Um, we have Candace on the show. She's a new voice that we added to the show this year. 
and she's actually doing the uh, the Sports Ethos Seahawks coverage. So, yeah. you know, she she's still definitely going to be a huge part of what we do over there at uh, Ethos Grizzlies. But she uh, she's just not as interested in the draft stuff. And and I'm like, hey, you know, if if you don't want to dig into this stuff, I'm not gonna you know hold you to the coals. You go ahead and do what you got to do. <laughs> and Isaac and I love it. We we can handle it on our own. He is at David W. 2111. It wasn't always this complicated, David. I don't know why you had to go and incite violence yeah. on Twitter or whatever you did like four months ago yeah. and <laughs> to start over. Just a violent person, man. I yeah. apologize. That's what I do. <laughs> Can we, I, don't know. I don't know if we've said it on air and I don't know if you even want to, but do you want to tell the listeners what you actually do for a living and why the fact that you got a Twitter handle suspended for inciting violence is even like triply insane uh i mean yeah i don't mind yeah i i uh i'm a nurse actually i'm a, a hospice nurse for uh, a company that has offices in oh i wasn't prepared for that six or seven states <laughs> you didn't have to go i was just gonna say <laughs> yeah. like your your duty is to help create levels of comfort for humans and you got a twitter handle uh knocked off yeah. for inciting but i mean it's just like the most idiotic thing ever but uh if you knew david before and wondered where the hell he disappeared to it's because twitter's bots of approval decided that it wasn't right and so uh poor guy had to start over again it's david w2111 if that's too annoying to remember uh, you can just follow at Ethos Grizzlies, and then you'll be tagged in in all the stuff that goes out over there. But like before we even get into the draft stuff, I just gotta I gotta give you some love, man. You guys, you and Isaac and Candace, who again is has now branched off to handle some football coverage. You guys built this Grizzlies coverage up from nothing, and now you're in arena at times covering the team. You're on the the press calls. This is like. And I'm using this, by the way, as a segue to recruit for Sports Ethos because you guys have done all this stuff the right way. You created connections in the industry, and now you are industry voices for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's just so damn cool, man. I'm so proud of you. Uh, congratulations on all the success of the show and yourself. Man, I, I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been tough. It's, it's a lot of work. Uh, you know, COVID hit, and it almost yeah. done me in. Like, it, we... Uh, I started the show with a different co-host and, you know, life happens. He wasn't able to continue with me. I, I just kept on grinding. Luckily made the relationship with Isaac. He came on as a guest and I just kind of reached out to him one time and I was like, Hey man, do, do you want to come on? Do you want to do this regularly? And, and he's like, sure. And I cannot give him enough praise of how great of a, of a catch that was for the show. A lot of great insight from him. He does a lot of work and, you know, he has helped me grow. He has radio experience in the Memphis market. So, you know, I've learned a lot from him and it's been great. It's, it's been fun to watch it grow. Always loved the Grizzlies, been, been a season ticket holder for a little while. And, and it just kind of, it's opened up a lot of doors that I never thought that I'd be able to walk through and got to see a lot of stuff up close and personal that I never expected, but here we are. And I'm loving every minute of it, man. I, I still, the first time I got to go, and I hate to go long. I know that you don't have a very wide window here, but no, this is good. I, I love these types of stories. It's it's off season time, man. Everybody's just ready to chill and relax, and so you, you got to hit us with it. I, I don't want you to get yelled at, though, man. That you guys weren't talking about fantasy. We'll get there, I promise. But <laughs> the the first time, I know the negative that, review that is had, coming. <laughs> yeah, 
first time I had in-person uh, interview access. And, you know, with COVID, it's been super weird. Uh, they, they were, the NBA was requiring you to be fully vaccinated. You had to turn in the proof of all of that. So you go in and you're fully masked up and we're standing there and De'Anthony Melton, this was, um, Oh my, the before, fan, the before game one uh, <laughs> of this year, we were standing there and Melton is the guy that we were interviewing. And all of a sudden I feel somebody tap me on the shoulder and they're like, ask him why I got lined up today. Ask him, ask him why I got lined up today. And I, I immediately recognize the voice, so I, I know who it is. And I turn around, and Ja Moran is standing right over my left shoulder. Incredible. It was, like, it was so hard not to fanboy, right? Like, you're, you're a member of the media now. you got to be respectful to the guys and all that. But, you know, never in my life did I expect that I'd be standing there and Ja Moran is tapping me on my shoulder. But there, there it was. And, and it's been great. Had, had a lot of opportunities to meet people that work in the industry, a lot of other great media people and uh it's been great i can't wait to see where it goes from here if you guys would like to do this give us a holler at dan bespris on twitter that's the easiest way you can also email uh roster at sportsethos.com. you would actually be working with david if this was your cup of tea he can show you what he's done he's now walked the path and we'd love to have you do it. We have a lot of teams that are not covered right now. And, uh, again, we've branched out into baseball and football as well. So it's a lot of opportunity here at Sports Ethos. Perfect time to get going on it because we actually have uh, time to help because the basketball season isn't going right now. Well, I mean, draft season will be over in a minute here. Um, so let's dive into the basketball stuff. The Yesterday, and the, the joke I wanted to make here kind of at the outset is like, okay, on yesterday's show, I didn't know anything, and now obviously I know everything. Uh, I don't. I talked to the marvelous William Harris yesterday on the podcast, and he threw some names out and what he thought they might do at the NBA level. David, you are sort of a, a more traditional NBA redraft fantasy guy. I don't think people know this about you. They know you as the Grizzlies dude, but you're actually really damn good at fantasy sports. Um, what, and I'm, I've been going back in my head back and forth all day on the right way to format these questions for you, but I kind of want to tie it into what William and I talked about yesterday. Uh, so I'm going to go through some players and I'm not going to hit you with anything you don't know. These are largely big name guys. My curiosity with you is, do you think, well, first of all, what do you think they do at the NBA level? And then secondly, maybe more importantly, do you think said player could be a a value on draft night, or do you think the hype train's going to kind of run away with it? Is that, you know what, let's just do it. I'm not even going to ask you if that's okay. I'm just going to dive right in. <laughs> okay. Ready or not. Yeah, ready, go. exactly. <laughs> Damn it, it's my show. I do what I want, because I'm going to just act like a jerk today, and everybody's going to have to be okay with it. All right, the great David Williams. We'll just start at the top. The first name that William threw out yesterday is the guy who's likely to go first in the draft, uh, to Orlando, and that's um, Jabari Smith. Mike, <laughs> I screwed up the last name there. I thought you knew everything. I know. I thought you had it under <laughs> control. What's not, going on? Not even going to edit that out. Just going <laughs> to leave that in there. Um, so the thought there was, you know, fit shouldn't be a problem. Wherever he goes, obviously your number one pick is going to get to play a whole bunch of basketball. But is this a guy, David, first again, how do you think he handles year one at the NBA? Can the field goal percent be improved over what it was at college? Because – you know, we talked a bit yesterday about his three-point shooting, which was very good. And then, is there any universe where someone going first in the draft could still be better than where they get drafted? 
And I, that's a tough, it's a loaded question, honestly, because I, I don't know what the hype train is going to do with him. And just from the last couple years, number one overall picks have kind of, I was trying to remember Anthony Edwards, I believe, because, you know, the, the pre-draft stuff with him was a little bit weird. And he was all like, uh, you know, basketball is not really my top sport. Yeah, even I remember that. So, yeah, so there was some concern with him. So he fell a little bit. And then he ended up, I, I don't remember where he finished that year. I didn't look it up because I didn't plan on talking about him. But, you know, Cade Cunningham, he he had the hype. And I think that he was going, what, like, right around the, the 100 mark this year, somewhere in the, like 90 to 100. Yeah, about a 90. I think that's right. Yeah, and then, you know, he he didn't – he ended up finishing like just at, by totals uh, just outside of the top 100. So Pretty close, you didn't actually. really get – yeah, you, you didn't get value from him, but you didn't really get beat over the head. Um, with, with Jabari, the, what you said was perfect. He can go – whichever team drafts him, if he doesn't go number one – He's the type of player that he can plug in anywhere. He's going to play. The fit doesn't matter. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to be effective. He's a great shooter. And I really do expect to see his his field goal percentage improve in the NBA because of the spacing. He's going to have a lot more time to get his shot off. Not that he needs it. He's got a very smooth, very quick release. He's going to be able to get his shot off at the next level, no problem. And plus, he's 6'10", massive wingspan. So he's going to shoot over the top of a lot of people. Um, so I do expect to see that field goal percentage go up for him, even though that's not typically what you see in the NBA. But because of his size, he's not going to be a primary ball handler. He's going to be somebody that's playing off ball. And if he goes to Orlando or if he goes to OKC, they have plenty of facilitators on those teams to get him in his spots where he can get good open looks. And so I, I don't expect that it's going to like jump north of 50% but I think that it will be better than what it was at at the college level. What kind of an NBA season do you think that would potentially translate to? And I know it's a really tough question, but just from like a, uh, a, a rankings ballpark even. Yeah. I'm the, the defensive stats for him, I, I think is kind of like he gets stills. He doesn't get enough blocks. So I worry that his defensive stats, I, I don't know that he's going to be a big enough positive in other areas mm. to, to drag him up the board because of the defensive stats. Um, and that that's really, I don't even know that that's a, a, a concern per se, but to me, I, I don't mind drafting him in a redraft league, but I'm probably the, the only rookie on the board that I'm touching before 100 is, is Chet Holmgren. Mm, guess we got to go that direction. Don't we? I was actually going to ask you about, uh, Paolo Banquero, um, yeah. because he was a name that came up yesterday as kind of a similar mm-hmm. uh, stat line, slightly lower free throw percent, three pointers, slightly better, I think, field goal number to uh, Jabari Smith. You have a quick take on Paolo before we go to Chet, because I know he's a guy you really want to talk about, and I want to give you a nice bit of wiggle room to talk Holmgren. Sure, yeah, I, I don't mind to talk about Banchero at all. He, he's a guy. His offensive game is going to translate at the NBA level. Um, I, he's one in the the one of the guys out of the top four that I'm not sure what his fantasy game is going to look like. I feel like for the first couple years that he's not really going to be fantasy relevant. I, I think that because 
he's he's a subpar defender and some of that might be effort so you could maybe see that get coached out of him depending on where he lands but he he takes plays off on the defensive end and depending on who his coach is that may affect his playing time you know if if he goes to a place you know if he goes to Houston they they don't really have any like big name elite defenders down there anyway so they're going to be playing to lose so it may not be an issue but he's going to be able to score the basketball. He's going to rebound well. His field goal percentage is going to be pretty good. Um, as a big man, I think that his his free throw percentage is going to be okay. Um, I can't. I didn't have his stats down. I don't remember what he shot from the free throw line. It was like seventy one or seventy two when I looked it up yeah. yesterday. Something like that. So you know, a, a, as a guy that's playing the the four. That's not an awful free throw percentage, and, and I don't know that he's going to get to the line enough to really tank your percentages, but I'm, I worry about him turning the ball over. I worry about the defensive stats with him because, you know, it's typically when you're playing fantasy, you're, you're looking at, at nine categories if, if you want to win, unless you're in a punt build, obviously, and then that makes a difference, um, but I'm far from an expert on that. I tried to do a punt build this last season, and completely whiffed and it finished i think last in that league actually it was it was pretty bad i was trying to recover and i just i i whiffed on the build so bad it was terrible so yeah i think that he can be effective offensively but i think that he's just a guy kind of he doesn't have the same game as john ja morant so when i make this comparison uh two completely different players but john ja morant in his first two years was far better real life basketball player than he was fantasy. He just, you know, where did he finish his second year? Like he finished outside of the top 150 in year two, and his numbers look, you know, good. You look at the numbers, he's got the big, big counting stats, but the other stuff kind of drug him down. And, and I think you'll see that from Banchero. Okay. So I know you got your guy here, and uh, I want to give you the breathing room to discuss Chet Holmgren because the, the big fear. And again, as by the way, the name that popped in my head when you were talking about Paolo was Jalen Suggs as like a athletic going to have issues with turnovers. Percentages are not set in stone, doesn't shoot the three ball, all that. I might be off base there uh, just from a number standpoint, not necessarily an actual physical NBA game. But uh, over to Chet, what I learned about him on yesterday's show from William is that he is very tall and... Not that heavy, but it also sounds like I and I finally after doing that show, I looked I sort of scoured my Twitter and instead of just ignoring all of the draft tweets. I actually looked at them and it does seem like the Thunder are pretty keyed in on Holmgren. Did I read those tweets right? And is that the best possible spot for him? Because they really don't have any centers they trust on that team. Yeah, I think. I, I would be extremely surprised if he falls past the second pick. Uh, they made a trade. They went out. They gave up the 30th pick to get Jermichael Green. Jermichael Green is a bruiser. He's a, a four. Sometimes he will play the five. But he's the type of guy that you need to play next to Chet Holmgren. Jermichael Green can guard the majority of the fives in the league. And Chet Holmgren, because of his frame, that's going to be a struggle for him. Rookies tend to struggle with the physicality of the league when they come in anyway. And because of Chet's frame, that is going to be a concern. But I think a lot of people overlook the fact that, you know, Chet does a lot of things at an elite level. 
And we, we haven't really seen anybody with his skill set and his size. So, you know, the, the combination of the two, you hear, I, I really, I hate the term because it, it gets thrown around very loosely, but unicorn. Um, and, and Chet has that, you know, he shot, he was like 61% from the field, 39% from three, 72% from the free throw line and 3.7 blocks per game. Yeah. That's, nuts. I don't expect, like, I don't expect him to be a four blocks per game guy in the league, but blocks come at a premium and you can carry yourself up a board. If, if you have a high level of blocks, miles Turner always finishes, pretty high because of the number of blocks that he gets and you know the rest of his game is, is fairly friendly but I, I think that Chet has some stuff that we didn't get to see at Gonzaga that he will unlock at the next level and maybe not necessarily in year one but I have enough faith in his defensive stats that I think that if, if you can get him around the 80 range I think that you're gonna get value out of him do you think he profiles fantasy wise like Miles Turner as someone that like drifts away from the basket a little bit on the offensive side, or do you think he ends up playing closer, maybe down the line, maybe not so much this year? I, again, this is I, I'm way out of my comfort zone here, so I don't know how this stuff tends to translate from a timeline perspective. But you know, Miles Turner is generally in that like 12 to 14 point range, six to eight rebounds. He's not going nuts with either of those, but mm-hmm. a three and a half, two to three blocks per game, decent percentages, low turnovers. That does seem like maybe the kind of thing you could set as a target for someone who blocked almost four shots a game in college. Maybe the question should be how long does it take to get to a place where you can trust him to play 25 or more minutes per ball game? Yeah, and that's going to be he, – he hasn't really had big health issues. Like, you know, he, he was healthy at Gonzaga. He played prep, and, and I realize the level of competition is different from, you know, the, the West Coast Conference playing prep ball and then getting to the NBA. But Chet's super competitive, and, and he is a guy that even like at every level he's been in there and he's been playing physical with, with the people that were at his level – and yeah, it, it's a step up to the league, but I don't think that it's going to be such a step that he can't handle it. I, I really do think that you could see him in that same stat range as Miles Turner. I, I think that you may get some more assists from Chet because he is a very, very good passer. And as the fourth option, as far as playmaking at Gonzaga, he averaged two assists a game this year. And, and that's something that I think when teams try to harass him and they try to you know just like bully him around he's going to be able to pass out of that stuff and and he's going to find guys so I feel like he has another level like you know where Miles Turner tends to finish very well because of the number of blocks that he has I think you could get you could see similar numbers and blocks from Chet but you may see quite a few more assists from Chet to help him climb up the board even higher is he the guy of everybody in this draft that you feel most confident beats his ADP? I mean, there's a lot of time. We you, we can do a redux on that in September when you see what hype trains look like. But right now, does he feel like a guy to you that has that profile? Because people do look down on the conference he played in. People do look down on his stature. or uh, Or is he just someone that you like a fair amount? I think that he can. Like, I, I would be comfortable 
taking him around the 80 mark. I think that he can outperform that just because of the defensive stats. You know, he's he's not going to be a primary. He can handle the ball, but he's not going to be a primary ball handler. So his turnovers are going to be low. You're not going to have to worry about that. 72% from the line is a big man that, you know, that's serviceable. Like, I can deal with that. That's much better than, say, uh, you know, Yaka Pertle at, you know, 50% or whatever he was this year, Miles Plumley. Like, <laughs> Which, or, by the way, know. on the Pertle front, he was at like 39% for the first two months. So he, he, he yes. pulled it up a little bit. So, so that's something that I, I wonder what's going to happen with him. You know, if he gets above 80, like if he's getting drafted before 80, if you see him climb into the 60s, I don't know that I trust any rookie to, to take them that high. If you go back and you look at the rookies and where they finish, you have a few that finish inside the top eight. You have four by totals. Herb Jones finished at 40, Scotty Barnes at 46, uh, Franz Wagner at 55, and then Mobley at 67. But th- there's so many questions with, with Chet, and, and rightfully so. You know, you see a guy that, that's seven foot and he just looks like a walking stick. You're going to be concerned, and I've heard Bobo comps and Sean Bradley, and I feel like a lot of that is just because there's no there's nothing to compare him to. He just doesn't have there. There's nobody that's played the game at his size that has his skill set, so there's not a true player to player comparison for him. And so mm-hmm. that you know, like when you're looking at Sean Bradley, the only comparison between Bradley and 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 Holmgren is the frame, you know, Bradley was like what seven, seven and weighed like 105 pounds soaking wet. (laughs) And that's kind of what Chet is, you know, he's not seven, seven, but he's very, very skinny. And so you worry about, you know, what he's going to be able to do in the league, but he's far more skilled on the offensive end than what Bradley ever was. By the way, I, you know, I want to like Sean Bradley, actually from a fantasy standpoint, if folks, I didn't play it in the, in the nineties when he was doing most of his stuff, but had I, he would have actually been a really good fantasy player. I mean, I know that like impact wise from a reality standpoint, it probably wasn't that great, but like in 19, in mid nineties, like 95, 96, he was blocking almost four shots a game. Yeah. Yes. He is yeah, seven, I, seven. Yeah. And I get right. Chet's not that, but I just, I wanted to give Sean Bradley a little bit of love because he does get made <laughs> fun of a lot, but there was a long stretch there where he was uh, among the league leaders in blocked shots, which, you know, you and me and you, man, we play a lot of Roto. That would have been pretty damn useful almost 30 years ago. Yeah, four shots a game. Yeah, you could uh, <laughs> almost not worry about it drafting anybody else, and he'll get you enough to uh, get get the points that you need. That That's the, the one thing I learned a lot this year in, in Roto, and, and I had always kind of questioned if you could really play a punt strategy in Roto and see it work. And I kind of, there were a couple stats this year. I ended, I didn't win the league. I finished second, but there were a couple stats where I was essentially punting. I finished, you know, other than the few teams that kind of, you know, they faded away and and stopped setting their lineups. Right. You know, I finished near the bottom and a couple stats and still finished second in the league. And had I not, maybe I would have ended up winning the league, but yeah, I think that you can implement a, a punt strategy. Might, maybe not as strong as what you can in a head-to-head league, but you, you can avoid certain stats in, in a in a roto format and still have success. And and I never, prior to this year, I never tried it, and I didn't intentionally do it this year. It's just kind of how it went down. <laughs> All right, I got two questions for you before I let you go. First is on 
Jaden Ivy because all that I'm seeing and hearing there, and again, people know me, I don't know much, uh, is that this is the like big swing kind of guy. Could end up superstar, could end up flame out, could be a fit issue where he goes, what team takes him. Uh, is he the prototypical, like, maybe don't draft him and try to get a guy like that in January before he takes off kind of guy? Because that's the feeling I'm getting from all that I'm, like, reading about him and, and looking at his numbers from college. Real real life basketball, Jaden Ivey is probably my second overall prospect in, in this draft. I, I feel like he is going to have success at the NBA level. But fantasy-wise, I'm just going to avoid him. I, I I don't think year one, if you go back and you look at Jaden Ivey's college career, he stayed at Purdue, and then you saw a massive leap. His first year wasn't all that great. You see a massive leap from him coming into this year. And and a lot of things change. He, he's extremely fast with the ball. He can get up and down the floor quick, explosive. He shoots the ball well. There's a lot of positives, and he could completely make me wrong in in avoiding him. But Jalen Suggs was a guy that was really good at the college level, and the speed of the game of the NBA gave him issues, and he was not able to really adjust. Jalen Green was another guy that the majority of year one he struggled, and then what was it like the last month, month and a half, you really saw him turn it around. So if you could – time that right with Jaden Ivey, maybe that would work out, but I'm just going to to stay away from him because I think if if he goes to Sacramento, my question is what's his playing time going to look like? Yeah. He has this skill, like he he's, he can, you know, he can be out on the floor. You can I think that he's an extremely underrated off-ball player. You can play him on the floor with De'Aaron Fox cuz he shoots the ball well enough to do that. He moves well without the ball in his hands. But you can't play De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, and Jaden Ivey all at the same time. They're just they're too small. You can't do it. You're going to get tore up in matchups. And you know Davion is a great defender, but I would say that that is not a strong suit for a Fox. And Jaden Ivey is probably at this point serviceable at best. I think that he can improve there, but that's just not a lineup that I think you're going to see them run out on the floor. And so I wonder how much playing time he's going to get to bring you any type of fantasy value if he lands there. Yeah. Obviously, if there's yeah. a trade, that's why I I kind of hope that, you know, we can come back on after the draft so I can be like, because, you know, if, if any of these guys go to the Knicks, t- you know, Tim, t- he's not playing them. If they go to Atlanta, <laughs> Nate McMillan's not playing. Like, the, it, it depends so much on where these guys land because Jalen Johnson last year was a guy that I thought could have fantasy value and I don't think that he saw minutes all year long in Atlanta, and it just blew my mind with the injuries and stuff that they had. So, yeah. yeah. Well, as much as I'm willing to soften my stance on rookie big men, I am not willing to soften my stance on rookie guards. It just takes too long, and there's too many things that can hold them back where the other stuff they'd have to do is it's just too heavy a lift. Uh, last question here, and I know I'm running low on time, so this one's a little bit more lightning roundy. But yesterday, William kind of convinced me to keep an eye on Mark Williams. Do you feel similar that if he ends up in the right spot, he's one of those guys that could kind of just sort of walk into a high floor situation? Yeah, it goes back to blocks. Williams was a guy, um, 
2.8 blocks a game at Duke. And they kind of used him as a security blanket there. A lot of guys knew that he was there. So, you know, if their defender got past them, was not a big deal to add Williams back there to block the shot. But he's going to rebound the ball well. He's going to shoot a very high percentage. He's great in the dunker spot. So he, he's going to be a field goal percentage booster. He's not going to kill you at the free throw line. He was low 70% from the free throw line. Good rebounder, a lot of blocks. I think that he he is a guy that definitely could. If he goes somewhere where he gets playing time year one, he's a guy that can have fantasy value for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like he would get drafted all that high in, in fantasy drafts either because he doesn't have that the big name. Because he was a guy that William mentioned yesterday that I hadn't heard before. And as, again, as like blinded as I am by, to all of this stuff, I had at least heard the top four names. I'm I'm around basketball enough to say, okay, yeah, I know who that guy is, and I just choose not to learn anything about them. I didn't even know who Mark Williams was, but that type of fantasy stat set translates pretty easily. Uh, David Williams, my man, thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate you coming on, and hell yeah, we'll do this again after the draft. Awesome. Look forward to it, man. He is at David W2111. That's three ones at the end of that. Or just follow Ethos Grizzlies. That's, uh, again, easier to find. And you can find David over there. His amazing work on our Ethos Memphis Grizzlies coverage. David Williams, later, my man. Later. The delightful David Williams, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I know his Twitter handle is a little bit hard to remember. David W. 2111 2111 David W 2111 but I really would strongly he and William both deserve your follows here if you follow fantasy basketball if you follow youth in the NBA if you follow the Grizzlies they've got you covered so please do check out those guys and a, and a massive thank you over the last couple of shows for breaking down some of these young guys and getting us ready because tomorrow, what we haven't told you yet, is that David and William are going to be co-hosting live NBA draft coverage here at Sports Ethos on our YouTube page. I'll tell you more about that on tomorrow's show in the morning. We'll be tweeting about that after everything all gets set up here. So uh, definitely check that out if you want the fantasy ramifications in addition to the reality ones as players go off the board on Thursday, June the 23rd. This one's in the books. This one's in the books. Episode 53, Dunzo. I'm Dan Bespris. Again, thanks to David Williams. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you all tomorrow on Draft Day.